Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and we are starting a new series called Countercultural. The idea that inspired all this was just the fact that uh, maybe like me during this election campaign, you realize that there are many people in America that don't think the same way we do in the South. Does anybody realize that besides me? Yeah. And you go, whoa, our culture isn't where it used to be. In fact, we're a long way from Mayberry. And so if we're sitting there going, okay, if we're going undergoing a cultural change, what do we do? I mean, do we get a bunker and become a doomsday prepper where we're stacking up ammo and baked beans? Or what do we do? Well, that would be really hard to square. If we did that, it'd be really hard to square with Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples of the whole world. So how are we supposed to live in a time of cultural change? Especially at a time where much of the cultural change is away from the things that are taught in the Bible. Well, the good news is the Bible gives us a number of stories of people who went uh, through times of cultural change, just like we're going through, some of them much more extreme than ours. Today, we're going to look at somebody who did it right. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline entitled, Daniel Got It Right. He got it right in dealing with culture change. And so if we're going to deal with culture change, there are some principles that the Bible gives us from Daniel's life. I think there's some observations we can draw that will help us as we go through culture change as well. So I want you to be encouraged that the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice, even how to practice our faith in times of change. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just know that our culture is changing. That's pretty obvious. Things that are said now on television would have never even been shown 20 years ago. Things that are now law, it's hard to imagine how laws have changed. And Father, for those of us who've grown up in, with one set of values when we were kids, as we've gotten older, it's changing. For others who are young now, they're grown up in a completely different frame of reference. And so, Lord, I just pray, uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen our Christian worldview, that you would strengthen our biblical understanding, and you'd give us some good principles today on how we can live as Christians in a time of cultural change. I'm praying these things and asking you to show us some insights from the life of Daniel. We thank you for his faithfulness. Please speak and move me out of the way, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Okay, uh, if you need a pen, by the way, raise your hand. If you didn't get one on the way in, you want to take some notes on this. As a young man, Daniel was forced to live in a culture that was hostile to his faith. This is 605 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, 605 B.C., um, and Daniel was taken captive. Uh, God had warned the Israelite people. Had, he had led them to the promised land. And century after century, year after year, they got farther and farther away from God. They wanted to chase after idols. They wouldn't listen to what God said. God would send them prophet after prophet after prophet and warn them. And they wouldn't listen. And finally he said, because you will not listen, I will allow you to be carried off into captivity. And if you want to worship pagan deities, I'm gonna, you will be carried off to a place where that's all you'll have to worship. For 70 years, my land will lie idle and fallow because the people hadn't even observed the Sabbath years that he had commanded them. And so all that judgment was fulfilled in the time when Daniel was just a teenager. And it came about in 605 B.C., the king of Babylon, uh, the superpower of the day in the north, invaded Israel along with a lot of other countries that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was conquering and Daniel was taken captive. So this is Daniel 1. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, 
Can we all agree that's a very unfortunate name? Okay, anyway, Ashpenaz. Okay, but his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who'd been brought to Babylon as captives. The Babylonians believed that the best way to strengthen their kingdom was to harvest the best and the brightest from every nation they conquered, bring them in, assimilate them into their culture, leave behind the poorest people, just give them whatever land or whatever was left that they wanted, and that way they'd be grateful to you, and that way you could control the lands at a distance and harvest the intelligence and creativity and art, whatever was in that culture, and bring it and make Babylon stronger. That was... And Babylon was their capital city, and so that was the way they set out to do things. So the king of Babylon ordered his chief of staff to bring uh, the best and the brightest. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted in knowledge, good judgment, suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter into the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them, although he kept his unfortunate name. Okay, he renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. And so if you've ever heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were Daniel's friends. Daniel had a Babylonian name too, Belteshazzar, and we'll explain that in just a second. What's important to note here in your outline is that Nebuchadnezzar's goal was to assimilate, was to assimilate promising captors, captives into Babylonian culture. And so the reason we're looking at this story is, is that there's a temptation for us to be assimilated into our culture. And if our culture is turning away from God and from his word, well, then there's a real temptation, there's a real pressure on us to be assimilated to that. And to give up our convictions, to give up our understanding of God's word. And we can't do that. And you'll see that Daniel didn't do that. And that's why we're looking at how he handled that pressure. He handled a lot more pressure than we did when Jerusalem was, was captured. I mean, the whole place was burned down. He more than likely watched his parents murdered. He would have watched the temple that he worshipped in smashed to bits. He was hauled off and uh, led away to captivity. He would have had to march on foot for more than 500 miles. I mean, this would have been a bad situation, terribly painful. And yet, as we go through the story, you'll see that Daniel lived wisely in a pagan culture that was hostile to his values. So hostile that they wanted to use him for their own benefit. And this is the rest of the note here. Babylonian education, here was the king's thinking, and it's pretty smart. Babylonian education would change the way they think. Babylonian food would change their lifestyle. And Babylonian names would change their loyalty to the gods of Babylon. Because the names of the Hebrews were based on names that were loyal to the God of the Hebrews. Daniel's name, for instance, means God is my judge. The God of the Bible is my judge. And so they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means the God of the Babylonians. Bel, that was one of the 50 names for their patron God called Marduk, that Bel will protect his life. I actually want you to notice, some of you know that part of our sabbatical this summer, Debbie and I finally had a chance to go to Europe. It's something we always want to do. We were in Paris. We went to the Louvre, the museum there, and there's actually a stone carving of Marduk or Bell, whom Daniel would have been named after. If you guys have that picture, if you could put that up there, this is on display in the Louvre. This is the picture of Bell uh, that Daniel would have seen. This. You can show the next picture too. 
I had to wait till everybody got out of the room on that one because <laughs> it's not walk like an Egyptian, it's walk like a Babylonian. But anyway, the whole thing here is that, um, that I wanted you to, to understand Daniel would have seen that. I couldn't resist. This is, this is a picture of Bel, of Marduk. I mean, Belteshazzar. Bel will protect his life. And you'll see as we go through this, Daniel didn't trust in a stone carving of some Babylonian god. He trusted in the God who made heaven and earth, the God of the Bible. And even though he was 500 miles from home, he hadn't moved one inch from being under God's protection. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? Yeah. And so I want you to understand, he was in a place where pressure was on him, intense pressure was on him to be assimilated and conform to the culture. Much more than we'll experience, probably. Well, how did he handle it? Story goes on. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Please underline that Daniel was determined not to defile himself. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Because, I mean, as a Jewish boy, he'd grown up, you have to eat kosher. We don't know. I mean, Daniel was probably 15 years old at the time or less. He was a young man, just a teenager. And so if he's living here and he would have been raised in a, a home that honored God according to Jewish law, the Old Testament law. And so he would have eaten kosher and he would have known, I, I, I can't do this. This is a bridge too far. That's unacceptable. Now listen to this, though. God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king of of Nebuchadnezzar, who's ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, well, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. And that was a real fear. I mean, historical records here of Nebuchadnezzar show that, you know, he would have been, that was a high likelihood. If you displeased the king, he could have you killed. So Daniel said, well, then please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. See how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed, and at the end of ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned to them by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, no one impressed him as much as Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. There's a life application for you and me here. A couple of them. We'll hit the first one on the bottom of the page, and then we'll flip the page over. First of all, you and I must be people of faith and convictions. And so if we're going to write down a few things on here of things, how do we handle culture change? One is we have to be people of convictions. Well, what's a conviction? Well, Paul talks about it here in 1 Corinthians 13. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. A conviction means this is something that I am firmly convinced is true. I will tell you one conviction we have here. We print it inside the bulletin jacket every week. The Bible, and you hear me say it all the time, the Bible's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. We are firmly convinced that this is God's Word. And at Centerpoint Fellowship Church... You're always going to see our lessons based on God's word, not popular opinion polls, not what just what I think or what anybody else thinks. My thoughts are in here, obviously, 
but you'll see that the vast majority of everything that's in here is just scripture because I want you to look it up, read it, make your own mind, listen to what the scripture says because this is God's word. That is our conviction and that God's word is our guide in all matters in faith and practice and at Centerpoint Fellowship Church, that will never change. It doesn't matter whether our culture, and our culture is going away from God's word. There are people now emboldened all the time to be more and more outspoken that the Bible's out of date, the Bible can't be trusted, and Christians are just going to have to update their belief system to fit in with the rest of us. Mm -mm. A conviction is a line in the sand, firmly convinced this is true. Daniel was convinced that even though they had taken him all the way to Babylon, the God he served was with him, and he would need to honor him. And when they asked him to eat the king's food and change his whole lifestyle, he said, that'll compromise me, he and uh, his three friends, and they said, we're not going to do it. Give us ten days, and you can imagine they prayed all ten days, oh Lord, please make us healthy, and God blessed them. Not only did he give them physical health, he gave them exceptional aptitude. Because they were willing to be faithful. Apparently from all the other captives, these were the only four who, who had those convictions. Now along with that, if you flip your outline over, there's another life application right on its heels. We must live out our faith and convictions with wisdom and tact. Tact is knowing how to handle difficult, difficult and delicate situations to avoid offending people unnecessarily. I mean, gentlemen, if your wife has put on weight and you want to talk to her about it, you better pray for tact. Okay, that's all I'm saying. I come to couples, uh, couples come to me sometimes and, and the husband will say, well, my wife made me so mad. Well, what did she do? Well, she criticized his job at a party in front of family and friends. Women, can I tell you that is not tactful. That is danger. Don't go there. If you and I are not careful when we handle situations that are close to home for the people we love and we say things inappropriately, we can make a bad situation a hundred times worse. But Daniel handled himself with tact. He was in a hostile culture that was literally giving him his education, changed his name, was going to try to force feed him a Babylonian diet. And he said, no, there's one thing I can do here. I can choose to eat different food, but what's so interesting is he was such a person of tact that the people respected him. Now look, in Colossians 4, Paul says the same thing. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you'll have the right response for everyone. Now notice, in, I mean, if you go back to Daniel there, it says that the chief of staff had respect and affection for Daniel. And Daniel said, can you just give us a test for 10 days? I mean, if you and I are going to live in a culture that's changing, we need to know what our convictions are. We also, and we need to stand by those because we're firmly convinced. We need to have biblical convictions. That won't change. But we can also have tact in how we implement those. That's terribly important too. Daniel did not give up his convictions, but he was very gracious and he won the respect of people so they were willing to listen to him when he expressed those convictions. I think that's going to be important for us as we move forward. We have to stand firm. We don't have to go looking for a fight. And that was Daniel. A person of conviction, a person of tact. And that brings us to point two. That was when he was a young man, probably 15 years old. 
Skip forward now, 66 years later, 539 BC, 605 to 539. It's BC, so it's counting down, okay? Just want to make sure we understand that. 66 years later, Daniel has to go through another whole culture change. Why? Because the Babylonian empire that he'd been serving under for 66 years, it was overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. So Daniel had to live in a hostile culture when he was a kid, and now, he has to, or, and now he has to live in a hostile culture as an old man. How'd he handle it then? Well, here's what happened. Darius the Mede, who is king of the Medo-Persians, divided this new kingdom. He had conquered Babylon. It was a vast empire. And he said, well, how, am we, how are you going to rule it? Well, he said, well, I'm going to divide it into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. Makes sense. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. So you get the idea that Daniel was brought in because he'd had 66 years of experience serving in the kingdom and would have been the local rep explaining how people thought about things. And there were two other guys that were brought in who had been Darius's right-hand people. Okay, but Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire to make him his right-hand man. Well, you can imagine this really galled the people who'd been serving with Darius all along. They conquer this place, and not only does he put it over them, is he planning to put over them a Babylonian, somebody who'd served under Nebuchadnezzar and the people that followed him, but it's going to be this guy who was a Jewish captive. Ugh, the insult. And they weren't going to have it. So the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling his government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Please underline that. For 66 years, he'd been faithful, responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded, look, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel would be in connection with the rules of his religion. So he was also somebody who lived out his faith. He wasn't secret about it. Faithful, responsible, person of integrity, and a person who lives out his faith. I mean, they said that's the only thing we're going to have against him. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, be thrown into a den of lions. They knew that Daniel was faithful and responsible. They knew that Darius was vain and egotistical. Hey, you got all this new territory? People should be allegiant to you. Yeah, they should pledge allegiance to me. Yeah, so let's not have them pray to anybody but you, O king. You're great. Yeah, I'm great. Sign right here. Okay, that's what's going on. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Wow. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. He's, if he was 15 when he ate the diet, when he did the diet thing, he'd be 81 when this is happening. Life application. We should be known for our good lives, don't want to go too fast here, and our dedication to God. Convictions, tact, good lives. Dedication. 
I mean, if we're going to get this guy in trouble, it's going to have to be because of his dedication to God. We can't find anything wrong with him. Does the New Testament verify this? Yeah, Peter does. 1 Peter 2, 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, there it is, and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, what would the good deeds look like? Being always responsible, faithful, and completely trustworthy. I mean, if I live in a company that is, if I work in a company or I live in a neighborhood where there are people with values hostile toward Christianity, I doubt that they would be hostile toward people responsible, faithful, and always trustworthy. I mean, Daniel was still doing his part. He was still a person of tact. A person making the most of a difficult situation. He'd been taken captive 66 years earlier and had to serve his whole life under a regime of people who'd killed his parents, whom he had more than likely watched murdered. Burned down his home. Marched him 500 miles. Made to learn their literature and observe their laws and serve in their government. They took the boy out of Israel, but they didn't take the Lord out of his heart. He lived a good life, and he remained dedicated to the Lord. And now he was 81, and when push came to shove, he was a person of conviction still. He never gave up on his belief that he needed to eat what the Lord had commanded him, and he never stopped praying three times a day. How on earth did a guy like that hold on to his faith in the Lord? Well, he didn't blame the Lord. He understood what the Lord had been doing. In fact... We know from another chapter in Daniel what some of his prayers were like. And now you can, if you re, I'm going to read you a few excerpts from Daniel 9, a prayer in Daniel 9. And we see when Daniel was praying toward Jerusalem, what he might have been praying about. Daniel prayed to God in frightening and changing circumstances. This is the note there. Because of God's love, justice, and mercy never change. Here's what he said. He said, O oh Lord, you're great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant. You keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we've sinned and done wrong. We've rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your, from your furious anger, turn your furious anger away from Jerusalem, your city. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, listen to this, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Daniel knew that God had warned his people. Daniel knew that his people had sinned. Daniel knew that the punishment came because the people wouldn't listen to what God had said. And so he never gave up on God. Because even though he was in a changing culture, he believed that God's love, justice, and mercy never change. That's at the top of that note. Would you say those few words with me, please? That God's love, justice, and mercy never change. Can we say that together? God's love, justice, and mercy never change. I mean, if you and I are in changing times, one of our convictions needs to be that God never changes. That should give us great hope. Our culture may change, but God's love does not. Daniel knew that. In fact, he said, should have seen it coming. Daniel had heard the prophets say that the people would be in captivity for 70 years before they could return. 
And he knew that that time was almost up. And so he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and said, God, I'm praying. I saw Jerusalem burned. I know the prophecies that people will soon return home. And for every day of these 70 years, three times a day, I'm going to pray for that day to come. I mean, what if you and I, who know that Jesus is coming back one day and he's given us a burden to tell the whole world about him and make disciples, what if you and I prayed three times a day, Lord, I know you're coming soon, and so God, I'm praying that you will use me as a witness today. Lord, I know you're coming soon. I pray that I'll have an opportunity to tell others about you today. I know it. It's a prophecy. It's coming. That would be a conviction. What if we had a conviction that the Lord is the one who gives us strength, the Lord is the one who gives us life, the Lord is the one who provides our food for us, and so when we sit down and say a prayer before a meal, it's a real prayer, Lord, we are grateful we couldn't have any of this food without you. I mean, what if that was our conviction? And even people who don't believe in it saw you and they asked you, why do you do that? I'm just giving thanks because I believe God gives me everything. He's the one who gave me this good job. He's the one who gave me a brain. He's provided me for me so many times. I just want to say thank you. That's all. I'm just, I didn't want to bother anybody. I just don't want to be rude to the one who gave me all this. I mean, what if we really did that? Right way, right motive, right time. What if we were people of conviction and tact and we lived good lives so everybody could see our dedication to the Lord? I think this is what God's calling us to do. All of us. All of us. And I think these are all healthy responses to a time of cultural change. Well, here's how the story kept going. Well, then the officials went together to Daniel's house, and they found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. That man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, he's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. He realized he'd been trapped. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of his day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. At last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested, thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Then a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so no one could rescue Daniel. And it goes on to say in that chapter that he didn't eat anything, he didn't sleep a wink that night because he knew he'd been had. Here's a life application. We should expect hostility when we stand firm in our faith and convictions. And if we expect hostility, that's going to require courage. I should expect hostility if I stand for what's right. I'm going to be as tactful as I can. I'm going to live a good life, but I'm going to remain dedicated. And if I remain dedicated to the Lord, there will be some people who don't want that to happen. These guys, this threatened their climb to the top of the ladder. Daniel's dedication to the Lord, Daniel's good behavior threatened their rise to the top. And they wanted him out. If you and I stand for what's right, there will be people who are making good money off of purveying sin that is counterculture to the Bible. There are people who have all kinds of agendas. And if you and I stand for what's right, we're going to be in their way. Jesus said so. He said, look, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. 
The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? Slaves not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they'll persecute you. If you and I are going to do our best to follow the Lord, to be as tactful and live as good a life as we can, there are still people who are going to hate us. For many reasons. And that's going to require courage. We're going to have to expect that there will be some people who treat us unfairly and unkindly. And as our culture departs more and more from God's word, we can expect that in our lives. I'd be wrong as a pastor not to tell you that's part of the deal. And that's why Jesus said, count the cost before you follow me. Well, how did it turn out for Daniel? Well, the story goes on. Well, very early the next morning, king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And Daniel was lifted out, and all of his accusers were thrown in. And the story says they arrived that dot, dot, dot. It says that the lions tore them apart before they hit the, hit the floor. Well, then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. And notice he doesn't say the God of Belteshazzar. He doesn't. He calls him Daniel. In case you forgot that, Daniel means God is my judge. The God of the Bible is my judge. He wasn't counting on some stone carving of some Babylonian god, and Darius the Mede recognized the difference. We should too. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, not a stone carving. And he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Here's a life application for you and me. Straight out of 1 Peter, he summarizes everything we've talked about this morning. But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. He'll reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Tact. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Good character. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life, there it is, you live because you belong to Christ. Peter said, look, don't be surprised if hard times come. If they do come, realize that God will reward you. And God never changes. I'm pretty sure that as our culture changes, I don't think we're to the end of all those changes yet, no matter who wins this election. But it's terribly important for us to engage in our culture, to live good lives, to be people of tact, to make sure that, we, that our dedication to the Lord is beyond question and that we're courageous even in the face of difficulties because we know that God will reward us. That's the way Daniel dealt with things, and that's why he's listed as a biblical hero. And that's why it's okay for me to make fun of Bell in the Louvre. 
It's just a stone carving. We worship the living God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that you are the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, Jesus rose on the third day and conquered death, conquered sin. And Lord, through faith in you, you give us the power to live life as, we've always, as you've always wanted us to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord God, we come before you today and we ask that you would make us people who live in changing times the way Daniel lived. People of convictions. People who live out our dedication and live good lives. People of courage who expect that not everybody's going to agree with us no matter what we do. But that you'll reward us even if our culture doesn't. Lord, I thank you that you are always with us and you will never fail us. I pray that today we will, we will have received encouragement so we can face the future unafraid. We thank you for Daniel. We look forward to meeting him one day in heaven. But as long as we're here, Lord, may we live out in our world our convictions and our faith just like he did in his when we're young and when we're old. In the name of Christ, I pray these things. Amen.